roll, ready to roll, only stew podcast episode number 36 starting right now. Hello everyone, I love you, God bless you, may God be with you. It's me and my son Alex Finer killing it every day on the podcast. Remember, spread the word, like, subscribe, and put comments in here what you want me to talk about because you know me, I have a million stories, a million things to talk about with energy, with hype, and we are ready to roll. Now, it is October, arguably the best month of the year, arguably the greatest weather of the year. It's a little cool, although right now we're in a heat wave. Right now it's fucking 80 degrees. It can be 80 degrees for three straight days. And the last week of the pool is this week. I was going to close it three weeks ago. I just said, fuck it. Keep it open. The weather was dog shit. And then now we get one week of breathtaking Indian summer weather. And we're going to enjoy it. And I just checked the uh, temperature of the pool. It was 88, 88. 8888. So again, in October, we're building toward the two big holidays, Thanksgiving, Hanukkah, Christmas. But every day should be a fucking holiday in your life. Every day you should embrace the day. I'll tell you right now, I've done it. I've seen extremely successful people do it. When you worry about yesterday and tomorrow, you fuck up today. It's very simple. It's a simple premise. But if you think about it, life's hard. Life's very hard. Life's very difficult. Some harder than others. But the key to being successful, the key to my success, the key to extremely motivational, functional, successful people is keeping it in the day and blowing it out every single day like it's the last mother fucking day of your life. So again, all your energy can be focused in on a 12 to 18 hour period, depending upon how much sleep you need. So again, success comes from forgetting about yesterday, not projecting into tomorrow and focusing all your efforts, all your energy, energy, excuse me, all your positivity and all your fucking love on today. Today's going to be the best motherfucking day of my life. I'm so juiced up. I'm so pumped up. How you feeling, Alex? Feeling good, Stewie Robbins. How we doing? Uh, I feel good. I'm so positive, so hopeful, so blessed. Got the Major League Baseball playoffs starting today. And I mean, it's been a fucking six-month grind. And here it is. And in New York, it really is a very sad day, bad day. Because now when you watch other teams in the playoffs with so much hype and so much anticipation and so many projections for the Mets and the Yankees to make the playoffs and make some fucking noise, it was an epic fail, total disaster. I mean, Buckshaw Walker fired, rightfully so. He was clueless. He had no idea how to keep the team. Is it officially firing or not coming back? I mean, it, I mean, again, the Mets didn't even have any dick. I mean, Steve Cohn has no dick. He's a fucking whore, a scam, a liar, a thief, a documented thief. I mean, he got fined a billion fucking bucks. I wouldn't trust that guy with a loaf of bread. I mean, he's a scumbag. I was very happy getting him. I figured he was a lifelong Mets fan, super smart. billion guy, 
like three, four, five times richer than any Major League Baseball owner. But you see why he is a scumbag. He's a low life, and really, he's clueless. He has no idea. Maybe in his world of day trading and stock manipulation and just being a whore and getting inside information and being a robber baron, he's great at it. But when you put him in front of a camera, he has no idea. He has, it's, it's as if you and me are running the fucking team alley. He has no pulse. He has no idea. Now, he got his guy, John Stearns. He's wanted John Stearns from the beginning. He got rid of Buck Showalter, and now I guess John Stearns is going to pick the manager. So we will see where that goes. But my point is that it was so disappointing the entire fucking year. And when your baseball team sucks for the entire year, it's a grind because you got 162 games. you got 81 home games, 81 away games, and you just sit there in front of the fucking TV and you die a little bit. And the Mets were supposed to be so good off last year. And with Buck winning manager of the year, 101 games, almost winning the division, you know, playing right to the end, got eliminated in the wild card last year. But there were so many high hopes for this year. And then everything they touched turned to shit. So it shows you, again, last year, Buck Showalter winning manager of the year. Uh, I'll compare it to Brian Dable. He won coach of the year. Now he can't get out of his own fucking way. He looks clueless. He looks fat. He's angry. He's like a disgruntled, like fucking human. And again, expectations not being met. Uh, New York Yankees. I mean, total fucking disaster. And again, can you blame it on injuries, 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 especially to their starting rotation? Yes, 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 yes. But the team was constructed with old human people that really have not performed in years, that they were throwing a dart and hoping they could catch lightning in the bottle, and they were dog shit. They were just 500, really, throughout the whole fucking year. Uh, Garrett Cole, uh, phenomenal year, going to win Cy Young, uh, best pitcher in baseball, established. But at the beginning of the year... He did dog shit. Similar to Alonzo and Lindor. If you look at their numbers, you would say, wow, great fucking year. But in April and May, same with the Yankees, April and May, Garrett Cole gave up a lot of leads. Should have had a lot more wins. And in April and May, Alonzo and Lindor were no-shows. Alonzo got hurt. And the season was over by June 1. So baseball playoffs start today. There's so many opportunities. So exciting. You know, I mean, obviously... For the entire year, Braves ran away with it, and the Baltimore Orioles, surprise of the American League, although they were upcomers, played great fucking ball. So the Orioles had the best uh, record in the American League, Braves best record in the National League, and probably they're going to clash. They're going to clash probably in the World Series. I can't see really anybody being the Braves now and forever. The team's young, team's great, they have all-world players. Their starting rotation is not lights out because they have injuries, and the Orioles, now their back end of their rotation, and their best relief pitcher, Batista, will not be there in the playoffs. So it's going to hurt both teams, but they had phenomenal year. Congratulations, Baltimore Orioles. Congratulations, Atlanta Braves. Getting back to the Mets and the Yankees, Bucks fired. It looks like Aaron Boone, again, has more lives than a cat. He's going to stay. Uh, Brian Cashman's going to stay. Aaron Boone's going to stay. And it looks like same old, same old Yankees. Because here's the bottom line, the big picture, the overall picture. The circle picture. We're not in the Yankees circle. We're literally not in the Yankees circle. And I've told you on this podcast maybe about 
eight or nine podcasts ago. We're not in the Mets circle too. So the long game for Steve Cohen is he's buying up all the property around City Field and he's going to make a gambling casino, the psychoest mall you've ever seen in your life. And that's how he's going to make his fucking money. So he lost leadered into buying the Mets with a total fraud sham scam that I'm going to build the Mets to be the best team ever, where that was not his end game. That was not his objective. Sure, it'd be great if it happened. Sure, it'd be great. No two ways about it. But his end game was the casino and the mall and the property. So instead of the Mets worth two, three, four billion, he's going to have a $50 billion empire around City Field. So again, that's his end game. End game for the Yankees. We're not in the inner circle. All they do is make money. All they do is print money. They sell out even, listen, Every night they announce 41,000. You're looking at the fucking stadium. It's drop dead empty. All the expensive seats. Nobody's there. Nobody's there. So again, we are pawns as fans for these elite rich people. The 1% of 1%. We're never going to be there. We're not there. Okay. So they make moves that don't make sense to us because all we're worried about is a winning team. Put a winning product on the team. We want World Series. We want Super Bowls. We want Stanley Cups. We want NBA championships. That's what we want. And again, I could also equate it to Jim Dolan. He owns the Knicks. Up until a couple of years ago, they suck cock forever. I mean, forever. Last championship is 73, 69, 73. And now they're competitive, but that's not the real deal. That's not the big game. The big game is all they do, Jim Dolan, print money. Madison Square Garden, Nick sales, they're sold out. Nick sell out whether they're good, bad, or indifferent. Nick sell out no matter what. It's unbelievable because people in New York love fucking basketball. So again, as fans, we always think that the owner, the manager, people in charge have our best interest in heart. Actually not true. Their end game is money, money, dominance, real estate, power. And then if, if, and only if our teams can win, that's a bonus. It's not the other way around. It has never been the other way around. It will never be the other way around. So that's basically where we're at. So now with the baseball playoff starting today, extremely excited, four games. You have best of three. So obviously that means uh, first team to win two advances. And I think it's just going to be a phenomenal playoffs. I love Major League Baseball. I love watching Major League Baseball. They sped up the game this year, so it's much quicker to watch. For me, who is a 62-year-old baseball fan, and I've been a baseball fan uh, since I'm four years old, and my favorite sport to watch is Major League Baseball, I don't like that they quickened it up. I don't, because I could literally sit there for four and a half hours and watch a dog shit baseball game, but I'm happy because it's calm, you can enjoy it. There's a ton of commercials, so you never miss anything with a pee or a poop or you make a quick meal. Baseball for me is the ultimate sports enjoyment. It's the only sport I played. It's the only sport I had a skill set at so I could jerk myself off thinking I could have, would have been a major league baseball player if I didn't start selling drugs, selling concert tickets, and making a million dollars by 23 years old. So baseball would have been my MO. I was a very, I was like a, on a scale of one to 10, I was a six and a half catcher, but I tried so fucking hard 
that I was the leader of the team. I had the biggest set of balls on the team. I never shut my fucking mouth and I came up clutch. You needed a single over the second baseman's head. I delivered. You needed a bunt down the third base line. I delivered. You needed Stu Hustle like Charlie Hustle, like Pete Rose, one of my favorite baseball players ever. That was Stu Finer. So I know what it takes to be a competitive baseball player. Now, my skill set was not to that level where I probably could have played. I probably could have played competitive high school baseball. And again, most people can't even do that. So you could say, Stu, you couldn't play college. You didn't play. Fuck you. How about suck my cock? How about I fucked your wife and she told me what a bad lay you are? So don't come at me. So I love baseball and I love it no matter what, but I would have, I could easily still sit there for a Yankee Red Sox four and a half hour fucking marathon because it was just great. It's great. So baseball playoffs start today. Very excited and we're ready to roll. College football is halfway done and it's wide fucking open, Allie. I mean, there's at least six or seven teams that could win the national championship. Now that you remove Alabama from being a human lock, Georgia's supposed to be the best team, but I mean, maybe they're sleeping. Maybe Kirby Slot has the fucking team sleeping. There's no energy. They do not play the first or second quarter at all. And then they, all they do is win. All they do is win. I guess that's what happened when you've gone back to back two peats, and you're looking for a three-peat. It is impossible to go out there and motivate your team to blow fucking teams out. Their defense is not what it was last year. From my eye test, at least, Alex, that's what I look like. So college football halfway over right now. I mean, who the fuck's going to win the championship? It could be a million fucking teams. It could be Georgia. It could be Michigan. It could be Texas. I mean, there's so many teams that are in the mix right fucking now. I mean, listen, I am not sleeping on Penn State. They look to cover the number, they play to the last second of the game, and they cover every fucking game. So you have the hottest team in college football against the number, trying to win, trying to cover, and I think literally they are a dark horse to you know make the Final Four and win the, win the uh, college football championship. I mean, there's no really two ways about it. What are your thoughts? Uh, let's go first of all with college football, Alex. Uh, it's definitely more wide open than it is in years past. I would say that Georgia's still the odds-on favorite. Um, I mean, they've they're they're also five and zero, and they've had a win streak that they haven't lost in like a fucking insane amount of games. So, even though they're struggling as far as you know, they're not covering big numbers, and they've started slow back-to-back weeks in the first half. They still turn it on and end up winning the game. So. Um, I don't think they get points for, they're going to, you know, unless someone beats them, they're not losing that number one spot. I don't care what any other team does and I don't care the margin of victory. If Georgia is undefeated at the end of the season, they're going to be one. So as far as playoffs go, we saw what they did last, the college football playoff. I mean, they had a close game, you know, in the semifinals, but, and then in the finals, they just destroyed TCU. So any, any doubt about this Georgia roster, I mean, they still have Brock Bowers. He's one of the most electric players in college football. I mean, every big play, he's going to him. He looks like a Gronk. He looks like an Aaron Hernandez. He looks like that elite tight end that just makes every play every single time and just steps up. So, I don't know. I, I would say that they still have the best roster, still have the best coach. Um a team that I would say has a really good shot is Oregon because of who they play 
Um, I think that that USC matchup is going to be, I, I just, USC's defense is just uh, too many holes in it. I mean, their offense is great, but it's just like, unless Caleb Williams plays out of his mind every single play, I mean, it's just asking too much to beat a team that's has both sides of the ball. So um, Oregon's in the mix. Penn State and Michigan comes down to, you know, that matchup. So it's, it's like one of the teams is always short-sticked because whoever wins that game, um, they're going to be in the picture and the other teams just, you know, sit by the wayside. So I guess that November 11th matchup between the two of them will decide who's really in control. And then they also have to play, you know, if it's Michigan, you have to play Ohio State end of the year. So for Michigan to be in the picture, they have to beat Penn State and then they have to beat Ohio State. And Ohio State's, uh, I'm pretty sure they're home that last game. Oh, no, no, Michigan's home. So, I mean, it's a it's a tough matchup. Those those teams have to play the gauntlet, though. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you're Penn State, Ohio State, even though Ohio State got that nail biter in Notre Dame, they have the big win there. They still have to beat, you know, Penn State, and then they have to beat Michigan. So those, you know, those three teams are going to bang up on each other. Um, I I don't know if either of them, you know. One of them will be there at the end, but it's one of those things where like they could both split against each other. Do you know what I'm saying? And yes. then, and then what do you do? Yes. Then you have a Pac-12 where does a team like Michigan with two losses or one loss get in over a USC team with one loss? How do you, you know, what's the Pac-12 versus you know that matchup? I don't know the strength of schedule. Who's going to get in? But Georgia, in my opinion, will definitely be there. Uh, I believe Oregon will be there. And then, you know, one of those three teams, if not two, but it's, it's going to be tough to get two teams there. So they'll, they'll, I feel like they beat up on each other every year. There's someone who comes out on top and then usually chokes in the playoff if they get to the playoff. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, so I would, I would still put Georgia on top. Okay. Okay. And you've been touting Oregon all year. So, uh, I mean, they're a rock-solid team. I mean, both sides of the ball. They're ready to roll. So, when is their next big game? I think they play USC, if I'm not mistaken. Wow, that's going to be a fucking... I mean, what's the over-under on that? 99? No. Well, I mean, Oregon's defense can shut down USC, too. So, it isn't like... I mean... I think every USC game for the rest of the year is going to be in the 70s. I yeah. just don't... Uh, I can't see it ever being below 70, just because... They score and they have no defense. So USC plays um, Arizona this week. They play Notre Dame the week after. Then they play Utah. Then they get off Cal. And then November 11th. So November 11th is a key matchup. That's going to be, what did I say? That was the Penn State, Ohio State. Right. And then we also have USC, Oregon. So, I mean, that's. You know, that's tough. That's a tough game. And then a sleeper is just Washington with Michael Penix Jr. I mean, just no one saw them being this good as far as, you know, I mean, maybe they, they saw them being 5-0, and but they have a real shot. Their offense is f- fucking electric too. So that, you know, that there's a ton of great matchups, but November 11th is looking like the best game of college football this year, you know, all things considered. So... I wouldn't sleep on Washington either, but in my opinion, Oregon will be in the mix. Georgia will be in the mix. Um, I just don't think USC, they didn't have the defense last time, and I don't think they're even close to, you know, it's just as good as Caleb Williams is, and I'll still go on record that 
He's the best quarterback I've probably ever seen play. Definitely in college, but I would, I mean, like we went to the game last night and I can guarantee you that you take Caleb Williams, no playbook, no playbook, put him where Daniel Jones was. He looks 10 times better. No line, 10 times better. Better thrower, better passer, better game feel, better IQ, everything. He's just better. So I would throw him on an NFL team right now, and he's better than a guy that's getting paid $160 million. So I've never seen someone look more inept. I mean, it's one thing to watch it on TV, but, it, I mean, the only thing I could compare it to is when baseball pitchers get the yips. That's what it looked like last night. I mean, for the first half, everyone talks about his O-line, and yes, he did get sacked 11 times, but there were how many plays did he have protection in the first half and roll out and either throw the ball away, uh, run out of bounds for a one-yard gain, or just drop off the ball to Brita and just never take a shot past five yards. I mean, the guy's getting paid $160 million for a reason. $93 million guaranteed. The most fucking throw the money no, in the toilet money ever. No one's ever got a contract that big without, you know, I he he had a an overperformance on both sides of the ball last year. He won one single playoff game, which, listen, he should have never been in the playoffs. And, you know, I everyone gave Dayball credit for that run. But, I mean, like, you can't have one run like that, then get a contract like this, and then look like this. You can't have the... The ups and downs. And then it's like, uh, but you can't blame Daniel Jones because his offensive line is terrible. What? They didn't see that in the offseason? Like, how bad is this line that maybe Daniel Jones is just that bad? Like, yeah, he's getting sacked a lot. And yeah, he's, you know, he has no time to throw the ball. But like, he also looks incompetent when he does have production. So I don't, I don't know what to say. I mean, I never want to compare Joe Burrow to um, Daniel Jones, but like we spoke about last night, I mean, um, Burrow's been sacked like, what, 150 times and still took his team to the Super Bowl. I mean, now obviously the Bengals um, roster is 10 times the Giants roster. Listen, but, but I don't know. Like, for me, I think Daniel- that I think that kid Jalen Hyatt right now, you put him on another team, he's, he's incredible. I mean, you can't teach speed. That's what they say every single year with receivers or running backs or any position. You can't teach the speed that he has. So he he is an elite deep threat. Okay. Darren Waller is literally one of if he's in the top five for tight ends in the league. Okay. He doesn't do anything on this team. I mean, maybe because he can't get the ball out, but like you can't like he has the weapons. Like he has he has receivers. He has a tight end. Obviously, Saquon's hurt. But I mean, you know, like it's not like he doesn't have people to throw to. He just doesn't throw. So, I mean, that's it's like the Eli Manning when he just – just little drop-offs every time. Like, even though we got – like, me and Alex went to the game last night in the owner's box, uh, owner's suite, fabulous spread, incredible food. They treated us like God. What a great experience. First of all, MetLife Stadium, uh, I normally take either a limo or an Uber to the game. Uh, never again, no fucking way. And I did it last night. We took the train, Long Island Railroad, to Penn Station, and then Penn Station to like one stop, and then right at MetLife Stadium. Extremely convenient, unbelievable. That's the way to go. Take fucking mass transit. So anyway, 
get to the game. We're in the owner's suite, in the owner's box, hanging out with everyone. Great, great, great experience. The place was pumped. The place was hyped. Let me say something right now. Seattle Seahawks fans travel. There were more fucking jerseys for the Seahawks. They were loud as fuck in that stadium, even before they had the big lead. Even before the Giants just fucked up. Even before Daniel Jones got stripped at the 10-yard line, which eventually led to seven points. Way, 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 way before he threw a pick six at the three-yard line. So really, Daniel Jones was really the culprit last night. I don't give a fuck about his offensive line. That game was 10-3. Their defense played well enough to win. There's no two ways about it. I'll tell you right now, Giants special teams are dog fucking shit. Whoever's returning punts for the Giants is clueless. Me and Alex looked at each other in the eye and said, what the fuck was that? At least three times. Well, he fumbled one of the punts, he, fumbled, he got back. He fumbled the first one. That was one. the fucking luck. But after that, he was gun shy. He, he couldn't pick up. He scared. Didn't, he didn't want to catch no. any fair catch. No, Let he it bounce. Scared. And the, I mean, listen. Cost him field position, the, like at least three drives. The Seahawks punter has, uh, he's hes a great punter. Don't, I'm not taking anything away from him. No. But, but what he does is he, he puts insane hang time. He lets the special teams get down there. And then if it bounces, it's going to roll 15 to 20. In okay. The, I mean, it's amazing. So, so if you're fair catching it, if you could cleanly field, uh, you know, field the ball, I mean, you're getting... You know, you're catching at the 20. You could have caught it at the 15. You know, sometimes even the 10. He just didn't do it. It's unbelievable. He just let it bounce every time. It was crazy. I mean, the, the thing about that game is that Daniel Jones, as a quarterback, as the leader of the team, never adjusted. He never, ever adjusted. It was just absolutely insane. I mean, we knew we were dead. The minute they did that blitz on his blind side and he never saw it coming and got destroyed. Almost died. Yeah. Off like, I mean, like, I think that it's it's not even like that play in general was like uh, a game changer. It was just the fact that, like, I feel like when you give a defense any kind of confidence versus, you know, like if you're a defense and you're going against a Giants O-line, you, you watch, you know, the sports shows, you, you hear what they say, the weakest O-line, like, how are they this bad? He has no protection. So, like, you already have the confidence, and then when that play happens, it's just like, oh, like, a simple simple blitz, like, right off the side, and, you know, no one picks you up, and you just have a free back shot to the quarterback. Like, you don't want to give a team that already thinks they're going against inferior competition, like, any kind of boost. They don't need a boost, because it's, you know, it's already, you're at a disadvantage, but... I mean, getting sacked 11 times is just, listen, like throw the fucking ball away. I don't, you know, like even if you have no protection, like just throw it away. He has the legs to get out of the pocket and then just throw it away. And he did that a few times. So it wasn't like he didn't. I, I Listen, you can't take a quarterback. I don't give a fuck about protection. In the first half, he was getting protected. All right. We watched the game. You know, he, he had moments where he had time to throw. And he was gun shy. He was scared. He had the yips. He doesn't throw the ball past five yards. He threw one ball. I mean, like watching it, it didn't look like any balls went past five yards except the third and whatever rollout where he like floated the ball to Brita down the sidelines and Brita like caught the ball and fell down. 
Besides that ball, I don't think he threw the ball past five yards. And if that was a good throw, that was a touchdown, by the way. No, it wasn't. It was it was a good throw because you're throwing to a running back. You know what I'm saying? For Breida to even catch that ball, that's not his job. No, he made a good play. His job is to run the ball. I mean, you know, now running backs are receivers, but not not in a you know in, in a situation like that where he's on his back foot. Like a, a receiver could catch that and go all the way, but that's why he was wide open because you know he's not a receiver. But barring that, barring that throw. He didn't throw the ball past five yards. And so I'm, how do if you're if you're going into halftime and you're Pete Carroll and you're the defensive coordinator, you're watching this. You're like, all right, guys, like he's not throwing the ball downfield. You know, like how do you even win a game when the other team knows you'll never go down the field, even if you have the protection, you'll never throw the ball deep. I mean, it, it was you surreal, can't win. Surreal, surreal. And I put this on Dable because you had extra rest. You played last Thursday against the Niners. The Seahawks, although they are a rock-solid team, they're very well coached. Pete Carroll has a couple of major, biggest snafus in the history of NFL. Still a rock-solid coach. Speaking of the snafu, that play was eerily similar to that Patriots uh, throw. I mean, equally as, first of all, the play calling, I don't know, you know, people say Dayball needs to take over, you know, if he did take over, would he tell anyone? But, like, who who called that play? And he, I mean, it was a horrific play. He was never... Both receivers were almost next to each other. Or, I mean, it might have been the running back and the receiver. They were never open. Forget if they... Never even open. Even if they weren't open, it was a terrible ball. Oh, my God. I mean, what are you looking at? Like, like I cannot believe Daniel Jones can not have any, like, feel for the game. I've never seen a quarterback have zero feel. He has no feel. I mean, look... If they didn't put on the epic performance of Daniel Jones's life, they're 0 and 4. I mean, they're 0 and fucking 4, but with 10 days to prepare, they must have known that their offensive line was going to be a fucking sieve. I don't understand why you just don't have two tight ends and just run power or just something. And it was just so fucking frustrating. I mean, it was one of the worst performances coaching wise. And quarterback-wise, I've ever seen in my life. The defense wasn't bad. Wasn't fucking bad. They gave up, for uh, for all intents and purposes, 10 points. And and here's, this, here's the second point to last night. Geno Smith made one great throw. One great throw. The touchdown in the end zone. It was a beautiful throw. What a ball. Beautiful throw. But barring that ball. Oh, nothing else. Nothing. He looked terrible. He was off. He was, so, he was throwing the ball to nobody. That's why it's so frustrating because you take away that pick six. It's 14 to 3. If we score a touchdown, it's 14 10. I think the biggest mistake, and usually I'm like, for when people go for it on fourth down, sure. Like I love it. I love I love the game plan. But if you're the Giants and you're at home, and the last time you were at home, you got beat 40 nothing. Okay? These fans have never seen a lead so far this year. Okay, so you got beat 40 nothing. You have the chance. You take the opening drive. You look good. How do you give away momentum by going for it on fourth down with that play? And, like, it just didn't have a shot. So why not just take a 3 nothing lead? Like, why why not have one lead and some points in the first quarter? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you could get booed for taking a field goal when it's fourth and one and you should have went for it. But, like, at least you'll put some points on the board. And that game was so close that, like, 
certain coaches take free points. And like, I know that the analytics say you should go for every fourth down and like, you know, like fuck that. All right. When you're this inept on offense and you have literally no confidence in the building, no one has confidence in your line. No one has confidence in your quarterback. Why not just take a lead? Cause if that game's three, nothing, it's, it's a change. Okay, and then even that fourth down play where they went for it, Daniel Jones obviously picks it up with his feet. Great play, but then he throws a pick six. If he kicks a field goal there, it's 14-6, and it should have been 14-9 if you want to go that far. So, like, it's a one-score game either way. You're down eight. It's not ideal, but, I mean, I, I just I, I just don't get why you wouldn't take a lead judging how this season's going. Like, why why not take the free points? Like, you're not playing with house money where, you know, you're a dog, you're on the road, and you need every point because you're versing, like, a Patrick Mahomes or you're versing, like, a Tua with Miami's defense that you need to score touchdowns every single time. The Seahawks aren't that team. Geno Smith isn't that guy. He's a great game manager, and he does make plays when it counts. But this isn't an elite-level competition team. Like, why not take a lead? Yes. And let's talk about two highlights of last night, taking away from this dog shit game. First of all, the food in the suite was top notch. Top notch. Top notch. First of all, might be the best chicken finger I have ever had in my fucking life. Crispy, buttery, yet the meat inside was pure white, no fat, no charred, tender. And when you took a bite out of the this chicken finger... You heard music. Literally, you heard fucking music. That was incredible. And they had three different dipping sauces. Everyone, one was better than another. I wasn't going to have the Philly cheesesteak. But after Alex had his second one, and he had a smile on his face that he couldn't break, he said, you got to take the... Now, this Philly cheesesteak was I'm tiny. A, I'm a pusher. All right? Listen, listen, pusher. listen, listen. Pusher. First of all, when we talk about it, it's like a very, very, very tiny cheesesteak. So... Like, it's like almost bite size. Like, oh, three bites, it's gone. Gone. Listen, listen. This this Philly cheesesteak was made with love, tender, care, sweat. Just, it, it was put, there was love in each one. The bread was amazing, too. No, the, no, no. The, the bun. The bread was like a, Mar- bun. you know, like a oh. Martin potato roll and how elite that is. And it's just like, everyone knows that the Martin's potato roll is just elite. All right. Every barbecue, if you don't have that, like if you go to a barbecue and you just see some random fucking buns and it's not Martin's, you you just know it's off to a rough start. This was like a, a bougie Martin's roll. Right. Mm. But listen, that was soft, tender. Listen, that was one of the best snacks I've had. So I had two of them. And listen, I had to listen. I had to push that on you. Oh, it was amazing. It was, it was worth, worth the push. It was worth the push. And then they had a lobster roll. Fucking 10. Chips and sauces, 10s. Hot dog, 10. Sushi. Sushi. Now, normally sushi is eh at these places. This sushi was fresh as if they just fucking brought it from the ocean, cleaned it, and dropped it on our fucking lap. It was absolutely incredible. So, I give the food at MetLife Stadium, in the owner's box, a fucking 10. Then, they roll out these cookies... No, no. First, would they would they roll out first? Oh, this was crazy. Ice cream bar, ice cream Sunday bar. They have a woman dressed up like Tom Carvel, and it was like twenty different toppings: soft vanilla, soft chocolate, 
butterscotch, whipped cream, marshmallow, fudge, Reese's Pieces, uh, Butterfingers cut up, M&M's, and it was fucking amazing. Let me tell you, being on a diet and like being in a suite is one of, uh, I, I think I know what it feels like to be in one of those hostage videos. Or where, Nazi Germany. Where you're, it's, it's impending death. You you know that you're going you know you're you're fucking dead all right you have no fucking shot no right shot. willpower is not a thing not a thing but in that specific scenario where they rolled in the Sunday bar and then the lady lets you know that the Sunday bar is there you know what I'm saying so it's like you can't like don't look at it because you're gonna hear it like it's there all right and it's like I. I didn't want to turn around. It was like Medusa mm. because if I look at it, I'm going to turn to stone. <laughs> I just bait. I waited enough time that it left, but it's, it was impossible. Cause you just, you just want a fucking Sunday. Ugh. Who doesn't want a Sunday? No one hit me with every topic, every topic hit me with every sauce. Yeah, no, that, that was that. Uh, listen, that was the best, uh, you know, not, not eating. That was a win, but it's and- impossible to stick to a diet plan. Oh, it's impossible. And let me tell you something. The suite is absolutely breathtaking. You, you walk right out your door. There's a bathroom there. God, listen, at 62 years old, there's nothing better than knowing where the bathroom is, knowing that you could hold your pee and poop in to the last possible second and delivering. Like, think about it. If you're going to hold in a pee or a poop and you're in a fucking line, you wish you were dead. You wish you were fucking dead. Here, where do you where do you rank the bathroom being accessible to that extent? As far as just things in life, like the best things in life, because I feel like that's up there for you. That might be top five. It's probably this is how it goes. Uh, my dog. Okay, petting, petting, or just being with being with being Aria, with Aria, hanging out with my children, like we hung out last night. You Got and it. me. Chicken palm, veal palm, got to be real. Okay. Sandy, you know, got to put Sandy in the top five, you okay. know, because, you know, whatever. And then the bathroom. Got it. No, that's a, a fair. Then the bathroom. Fair. It's Sandy by a cunt hair and then the bathroom. The bathroom. That's fair. Because it just, like, in other words, normally I'm eating like I have five assholes. I'm going through like 300 ounces of fluids. I'm eating 7,000 calories. So you're talking six or seven peas, full peas, and two full poops, and then maybe the third would be like a loose poop. It'd be like, it just comes out like water. So that's normally an MO for me in a five-hour slant. So I need the bathroom. And the soap was great, by the way. The water flowed perfectly. There was towels and that blower dryer. So I I like both, by the way. Ah, I, I like both. Nah, not a fan. Because ha- how I do it, I don't know how you do it, is I get the towels and I blow my nose. Have to blow my nose. I wash my face. I need the towel to dry my face. And then I wash my hands with soap and then I put them under the blower. So wait, if you pee, you pee then wash your hands or pee right to the blow nose? I pee. I go right to the paper. I blow my nose. Gamble. And then I uh, wash my hands and then blow. And then wash your face. And then, um, yeah, well, I, for a, you know something? For a poopy, I always wash my face. For a, a pee-pee, not all the time. Got it. Unless I've just eaten like fried foods and I'm dripping with like 
grease coming through my fucking pores and like I'm like all oily. You got that meat sweat going. Exactly. Got exactly. It. Exactly. So um so the whole experience was amazing. Then afterwards, because you know, we're personal friends with the owner, we're personal friends with the Giants forever. You know, I'm going back into the eighties now. We met Saquon Barkley. Now, let me tell you something right now. Saquon Barkley in person looks like God. I'm 99.9% sure God is a black man because there is no better looking human on this earth. Brad Pitt, Leonardo DiCaprio, nobody, Ryan Gott, nobody is better looking than Saquon Barkley. When he smiles, the world smiles with him. He has that electric smile. First of all, he's perfect. His whole body's perfect. I hugged him and it felt like hugging steel, granite. You know, like he is one motherfucking man. He is a human man. The best looking man ever. Friendly as fuck. So classy. Big smile. You know, the picture I took when Saquon was on the Sports Illustrated cover of the body where he was naked besides the football in front of his penis. And then I duplicated that where I put my disgusting, gross, veiny, porous, fat slaw body with my football in front of my penis and we matched. And people thought we were brothers. People thought we were brothers from another mother. People thought we were twins. The resemblance is uncanny. Uncanny. It got over 11 million views to date. 11 million. So 11 million people probably used that vision either to have sex or as a deterrent against having a baby. Either way, you know, you know, I don't know where you flow. You know what I'm saying? But meeting Saquon was just phenomenal. And one of those a million, one of those 11 million views was who? No. Oh, Saquon. Correct. Saquon loved it. Sa- Saquon laughed. He goes, dude, because we never met in person. We have, you know, we've met through people, through people. He he's liked, you know, he follows me, likes it, whatever. You know, I don't know if he follows me, but he likes the bit. He liked it. He retweeted that. He retweeted it. Like he retweeted it, you know? To retweet an old, like a 60-year-old man that's borderline naked. At with the time, fo- I was 57. All right, 57-year-old man with a, with a football cover in his cock and balls. I respect that. Oh, especially shout out as a, Saquon. Especially as a high-level athlete. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know that they have people probably running their social media, but like that that was a, you, the person running the social media is not retweeting that. No. You got to, that's a personal, that's a personal hit hit. Yes. Shout out Saquon. I fucking love you. God bless you. You're all class. So. First ballot Hall of Famer. Listen, look at the team he has. Look at the quarterback he has. Don't slight him. Everyone that says he's injured, he doesn't deserve the money. He's injured because they don't have an offensive line because they suck because he's trying to do it all because if he doesn't do it all, look what happens. They get fucking beat. Daniel Jones, a scumbag, a low-life piece of shit, most overrated 93 million. He should go to jail for robbing 93 million guaranteed. He should he should pay Saquon like at least $10 million yesterday. I said 50. I mean, it, it, there's no amount. Whatever Daniel Jones got, it was because of him. No, look at his numbers. When Saquon plays, Daniel Jones looks like Joe Montana. When Saquon doesn't play, he looks like Joe Dirt. I mean, it's not. It's it's night and day. And numbers don't a, lie. Figures don't lie. Lies sure do figure. Like that. Like that. I mean, so if I died and I was reincarnated, my, my first choice was always Brad Pitt. Okay? My second choice was Leonardo DiCaprio. My third choice was Ryan Goslin. My fourth choice was anybody... 
that's fucking and eating Dua Lipa's pussy and ass. Okay? It doesn't matter what they look like. Because if I'm eating Dua Lipa's ass, if I'm fucking Dua Lipa, I don't give a fuck about anything else. Nothing else. And then, but now, my whole, everything's gone. Saquon is one, two, three, four, five. I want to come back as Saquon. I want to be the most beautiful black fucking man in the world because he is so good looking, so gorgeous, so kind, so nice, so inclusive that I I don't know. I want to drive the guy around, just hang out with him. I, I'll retire right now. I got enough money. I got, you know, got, I got, I'm set. I, I will be a servant to Saquon. I will kiss Saquon's fucking ass. No sex, no sex. I don't want my ass ripped. No way. And I'm not putting a dick in my mouth. But, and I'm not even jerking the guy off. But. Thanks for clarifying that. No, no, no. Because I don't roll like that. I, I don't. I'm not bi. I'm a pussy. I'm a vagina. I'm an asshole. I'm a tongue kisser. I'm sucking tit. I'm licking thigh to thigh to thigh to thigh. I'm licking your whole body. I'm all over you. I'm doing whatever it takes. I'm fist fucking you. I'm vibrating you. I'm putting ointment, whatever the fuck it takes. That's me. That's that's me. But, but, non-sexually, I want to be Saquon Barkley. Just, I'm telling you right now, there is nobody, no way, no how, nowhere. The man is the greatest single human being on this fucking planet. There's no comparison, and if you think I'm wrong, you probably have never hugged it out with Saquon. If you think I'm wrong, you probably never felt what steel feels like when you hug them, and if you never have seen his smile, it is intoxicating, invigorating. Matter of fact, if Saquon Barkley ran for president right fucking now, I vote for him. I'm his campaign manager. I would be honored to be his fucking vice president. That's all I got to say on the Saquon Barkley matter. So the night last night, I just want to say thank you to the New York Giants. Thank you to Mara. Thank you to the organization. Now, listen. Tish and Mara on the team. I just want to say one thing. We saw Mr. Mara leave the stadium yesterday. He had two security behind him, a security in front of him. He is a very, like, frail, thin, I guess about, I'm going to size him up at maybe like 5'9", 140 pounds. That's what he looks like. Steam! was coming out of his fucking head as he went to his car because he literally passed me and rubbed like his shoulder against me. He was fucking angry. I would have rather thought King Kong and Godzilla at the same time handcuffed behind my back with my dick the only thing to swing at them. I would rather fight King Kong and Godzilla, let me make this clear, let me clarify, than Mr. Mara. Steam was coming out of his head. He was so angry and so embarrassed and so frustrated that I, I felt bad for him. I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. So shout out, Mr. Mara. What was your, um, how much did you, what did you say he was, uh, height, weight? I said 5'9", uh, 140. Okay. So I like, I don't know, you know. Also, it's like if you have multiple billions, right? Like, does your height and weight on Google even is it real? That's not because if you're an athlete, you no, get to fidge like two. They make it up. What do they have? Now? He has six foot, also six four, also like 160, 180 pounds. Okay, so it fluctuates. So he could have been he could have been six foot one eighty, but about six four. No, there's no, no fucking way. Well, six Putin foot. Putin's like said to be six foot. 
but he's like five, like, five. He's ten. real like five, five flat, five nine. No, no, no. Oh, he's that. Right. He's so a tiny man. I mean, look, it's in th- you can't believe anything on the internet. Nothing. Everything is a lie. Everything is a sham. Everything's for entertainment. All I know there's is no truth in there's no truth in advertising. There's no truth in news. There's no truth in media, and there's no truth in the internet. Keyword: no truth anywhere. Bottom line is besides this podcast, me and Alex tell the fucking truth. He was as mad as he was. You did not. I and. You know, he's an older gentleman, but like there's certain people that when they walk angrily, you don't even want to look at them. I didn't want to look at them. No, no, no. It's scary. I like you, my mouth was open. It felt like he could kill a trained UFC fighter with his stare. Oh, no, listen, he listen. He had a walk like he was going to his house to slaughter everyone Every enemy he ever had, including the person that told him to give Daniel Jones 93 million guaranteed and 240 million or whatever it is, buck 60. I think that, I mean, I just, in my head, I don't know if it's true or not, but every person, when you're a billionaire, uh, you just run human sacrifice cockfights in your basement. You know, like you just have either homeless people or illegal aliens in your basement. And there's literally fight to the deaths. So in my head, every billionaire in their basement, that's just, it's, it just is what happens. I'm not saying it's a fact. It's in my head. They just have, you know, hand to hand death combat. And maybe you could even throw weapons in the ring. You know what I'm saying? It's like some real brutal shit. Not, not condoning it. I'm not a billionaire. I don't know if this happens, but billionaires, this is what happens. All right. You know what I'm saying? So they, he went home and I would say, He's still awake right now. They're still, you know, it's just running the gauntlet. Oh, I, listen, I would it's never like want to also, work for him today. I wouldn't want to be his wife or his kids or anybody. It's like Russell Crowe, too. It's like when you win, you just keep going. You know what I'm saying? Right. So it's at the end of the day, there. you know, I don't know what happens if you're if you're standing up at the end when they run out of the allotment of whoever's there. But yeah, there was a lot of dead bodies last night. Oh, my God. Unbelievable. And like just comparing the two hometown teams. The Giants right now definitively are hopeless. 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 No prayer. No shot. Nothing. Well, they're done. They're done because, like, if the Giants don't have an O line and you're not, you can't fix an O line. But even if they did fix the O line, I mean, even the, the, the most, you know, Daniel Jones supporters, the people who think he's the guy. And there's a lot of them. Do you really think he's the guy still? Like, do you, you, at least you're second guessing it. And, you know, you're just lying to yourself if you really do. But this team, forget about if you believe that Daniel Jones, say they could get the O-line together, which they can't. Say Daniel Jones is the guy, which he isn't. Their defense also isn't elite. Like, the defense would need to be a top five defense to have a shot. So what do the Jets have? The Jets don't have their starting quarterback. He got fucking his Achilles teared after four plays. You have a backup quarterback who no one had confidence in, but not only did he go from being a total, you know, outcast and like almost exiled, but like you're going to learn from Aaron Rodgers. He showed life. Showed life. Showed ball. He, he, Look, they beat the Bills and could have beat the Chiefs. Listen. Patrick, Patrick Mahomes got outplayed by Zach Wilson. No two ways Anyone about it. with two eyeballs watch that game. Saw he, it. Zach Wilson outplayed the best quarterback in the league, arguably the best quarterback ever. Ever. All right. Ever. So Daniel Jones 
couldn't outplay a, a peewee football team that just hands off. You know what I'm saying? When you're like six years old and you don't know how to throw the ball because you don't have the upper body strength and no one could catch and people are running the opposite way. He couldn't play, you know, they, that's what he looks like. So you have one franchise who they're on their backup. It's hopeful and they have an elite level defense. Okay. Forget about coaching. Who's a better coach. I mean, I think jet fans would tell you that Brian Dayball is, but maybe not because if you gave Dayball all the credit last year for overperforming, now the expectations were they're just as good as last year. They're going to be better. So better than last year would be two playoff wins. They're never making the playoffs. Never. They're going to be one in six. And they're then, never going to make the playoffs listen, again. I think they have a real good shot. I mean, not real good shot. They're going to get destroyed by the Dolphins, and they're going to get destroyed by the Bills. Well, even if they lose both of those games by one, let's just say. Okay. Even if they, I mean, let's yeah. Say, let's say they lose by one each Yeah, game. if I could fucking. They're one in five. If I could fly. <laughs> if they could lose by one to the Bills. The Bills just beat the brakes off the Miami Dolphins. Made them look like fucking, made them look like the Giants. And the Miami Dolphins, I mean, I, I, that offense is as scary as I've ever seen. I mean, their backup running back, the kid Akane, I don't know, is that how you pronounce his name? Devon Akane? Akaney? I think it's Akane, because that's how they were pronouncing it. That kid's incredible. That's one of the, like, to find these running backs, their speed on that team is I've never seen speed. Like they have three, four guys that could run like four twos on like right now, put them on a track. They could run four twos. So the bills just beat that team by 20 and it wasn't close. Um, so they're going to get destroyed by the dolphins. They're going to get destroyed by the bills. I think they're going to get destroyed by the commanders. And then this is going to be the fucking cherry on top. When you play at MetLife as a home game and you're hosting drum roll, please. The New York Jets. And if you give me an organization right now and a team and, you know, we fast forward through the next three weeks, you know, injuries aside, if you, if, if I'm putting my money somewhere, I'm putting my money on the Jets because what I saw from Zach Wilson this week versus what I saw from Daniel Jones this week, one guy's confidence. I mean, yeah, he fumbled and, you know, he took, listen, no one ever thought that the Jets were going to beat the fucking Chiefs. Did they have a shot? Yes. If he didn't fumble, are they going to score? I would put my Maybe. money on yes. Maybe. It looked like they were going down the field. It looks like they were going to take the lead. 70% yes. Whether they were going to win the game or not, you give Patrick Mahomes back the ball. Who knows? But they had a chance to knock off the defending champs. They had the chance to do something that no one thought could happen. Versus a team that was hosting a game versus the Seattle Seahawks that was a pick and moved to two and a half. I mean, and they didn't have a shot. Like, they did have a shot, actually. But, like, they threw the ball away, and they never really had a shot, and they got fucking dismantled. And, listen, Seahawks fans, as Stu said, travel. And, yes, they are the 13th band for a reason, whatever it is. Blah, blah, blah. To, to be at a game where you're at a Giants home game, the cheers were, I mean, barring a few, you know, third and longs or like big crucial plays on, they out fanned the Giant fans. No two ways Well, about first it. of all, there's nothing to cheer about. Correct. But they were fucking loud. Right. Not only did they show up early, they stayed late. Uh, the trains were packed with Seahawks fans. I mean, those... Those fans fucking travel. And it's not like one of these close 
you know, Seattle's on the other fucking side of the map. I mean, they're on the other side of the country. So I don't know where these Seahawks fans come from if they do travel from Seattle, but they show up, they show out. But bottom line is this. If you're giving me one team that's going to win in that matchup, I mean, the Jets only have up to go. Correct. And then they got Aaron Rodgers on deck. So, I mean, I mean, I just don't understand. I just don't understand with 10 days to prepare that performance. What I was mean, what was the offensive game plan? I, I literally... You, was, you have the no rest. You have the rest. Like, you have to... Like, what was... You go watch that game from, from the kickoff. Like, what was the plan? Like, that you were just going to beat this team with f- f- runs... QB sneaks and fucking like broken plays with Daniel Jones picking up 10 yards on his feet and no passes past five yards. Like how is that the offensive game plan? I I refuse to believe that was the game plan. I think that like, what are you going to do if your quarterback can't throw the ball? If he just won't, not can't, just won't. He he just didn't read the field. He just, he locked, he just didn't, he just has no feel. I would have liked to see him Throw four picks right down the field first half. Right. If you're gonna lose, take some shots. He took no shots. We will. He took for- one shot on the six yard line, second down. That was the worst pass that turned into a pick six. That was the only shot he took the whole game. And to to be a quarterback and like have no confidence in yourself or like just refuse to throw the ball for some odd reason, but to to, to pick that as the spot like that was the one spot you don't throw. Correct. So to throw it in that, like everything was backwards. Nothing made sense. Just so I, I'm saying that they're going to be, you know, one and six and they're going to lose to the Jets. I mean, it's going to it's going to be rough. OK, we're, we're putting a bow on the Giants right now. Bye bye, Giants. Your season's over. You're irrelevant like the Mets, like the Yankees. And uh, the Jets are going to stay relevant, I guess, uh, because they have Aaron Rodgers uh, in the warm up. I, I mean, I don't think I think it's this is New York baseball part two. Literally. Can't get worse. You literally do not have a a prayer for either team to make the playoffs. Because I mean, let's let's just or a step further, ever winning the Super Bowl. Forget about Super Bowl. You're never making the playoffs. The Giants are done, and the Jets have to beat the Miami Dolphins and Bills are so far ahead. So far ahead. And those are your two divisional rivals. Like they don't have a shot. In retrospect, you got to look back at Week One, the Jets for them to win against Buffalo. That was amazing. But that was the Super Bowl, for right? Super we Bowl. we knew it. Yeah. Everyone knew it. That was the Super, Super but, Bowl. But but listen, at least Jeff fans had a Super Bowl. Yeah, at least they have a victory that they can hang their hat on. The Arizona victory the Giants have is not. They were down twenty nothing at the half. They had a great third quarter and they won. But okay, that's it. Football we're done for a moment. Let's get right to it. Um, Barstool Sports Advisors. I've had back to back losing weeks, back to back. Losing mortal locks, which normally does not happen. And in other words, I don't got, know if that happened last year. I don't think it happened. So, so this is the first time in two to three years, three years that I've okay. gone back to back losing. Okay. Back to back losing mortal locks. And Take your shots while you can. All right. right That's exactly. it. And look, I got beat 70, 20. And last night I got beat 24, three. Listen, here's what, you know, telling me, paying me close to $80 million since 1982. When I lose because of the way I pick, you're going to get embarrassed. So my losers are going to be embarrassing. You're going to get crushed. You're going to be like, fuck, Stu, what were you thinking? Well, 
I think the same way since 1982, okay? Every day I wake up and that's how I pick. I don't vary. I don't change. That's why since 1982, a documented 56%. 56%. Now you can say, Stu, I can do 56%. No, you can't. No, no, no. No, you can't. You can hit 20%. At the end of every year, when your ball's broke and you have no fucking money, that's what you do. So in other words, I grind it out. Now, what have you done for me lately? I'm two and two on mortal locks this year. Two and two, okay? Uh, last year, I was 15, four, and two, okay? But last year's done. So rolling into week five uh, in Chicago, leaving today, get there tonight. Me and my wife are going to party, probably hit the Bally's Casino hard. Uh, not for me hard, but for her hard. We're going to have a fabulous meal. We're going to record season six, week five. And it's going to be funny because last week was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, we got Jersey Jerry again. And I smashed Jersey Jerry with a cake. He gave me a cake where uh, my mortal lock was on at 70 to 20 and I smashed him in the face. And uh, it's going to be fireworks. It's going to be fireworks because Big Cat loves when he's got me on the ropes. When I'm, you know, I'm like three games under 500 for the year maybe or four games under 500 for the year and I'm two and two on mortal locks. So I don't have the positivity to brag about. And the bar is still smash special this week after going 3-0 and 3-0 back-to-back weeks. 6-0 the last two weeks got smoked. So we don't have any winners to talk about. But I don't give a fuck. I don't care because gambling is for the rich to have fun and lose money. And gambling is the hardest thing in the world to do. So every day in front of the world, looking at my cock, looking at my ball sack, looking at my hairy asshole until I bleach it. And I shave it, which I haven't in over six months. Shout out, Harry S. Um, I am in front of the world every day. I don't get embarrassed. I don't get humiliated. I don't get shamed. I hang on to a loss until four in the morning. And then that's it. Because I have to be fresh every single day and pick winners every single day. Now. I'm going to lose 40% of the time, guaranteed. Last year, when I got super duper hot, I hit 79%. That was an anomaly. Normally, a great year for myself is 60%, 59%, because that has more wins than losses. Okay. So again, I don't dwell on losers. And by the same token, I really, although I'll pump it to get business in the future, I don't really dwell on winners because once the game is over, I give myself hours to process, but it never runs into the next day. So that's why I am a pro. I am a professional. I understand the landscape of what I do for a living. I understand gambling. I understand winners and losers, but my winners are shocking because when I win and I'm normally picking against the grain against the public, you're going to say stew. How the fuck did you pick that winner? And by the same token, when I lose, and I lose ugly, you're going to say, Stu, how about get into another business? Well, let me tell you something right now. I'm doing this until I die. I am the best in the world at this. I measure my success by not the week, not the month, not the year, the fucking decade. The decade. I've been doing this for over four decades. 
43 years. I've been doing this longer than 99% of you that are listening to this podcast right now have been on this fucking earth. Think about it. On this fucking earth. I've been picking games longer than Dave Portnoy's been alive. I've been picking games eight years before Big Cat has been born. I've been picking games almost double the years Jersey Jerry's been alive. Hank's been alive. Eric has been alive. PFT's been alive. So in other words, seen it all, done it all. Nothing surprises me. I never get flustered. I never lose my composure. I might do some rants for performance level. But truth be told, I'm cold and calculated. I have ice in my fucking veins. I'm a five-star general. When shit is happening and everyone's losing their composure and everyone is losing their emotional structure, I am right fucking there. I do not blink. I am not afraid to get humiliated and pick a game in advance that has an opportunity to get humiliated because my conviction is that's the right side to gamble on. I know this game better than anybody. Do you realize better than anyone fucking alive? Do you realize that? Better than anyone fucking alive. There is no one in the world that has been there, done that, that has picked games since 1980 every single fucking night. Grinding it out every single fucking night. So, so looking forward to Season 6, Week 5. Now, the week after that, extremely excited because it will be in New York. Our first show of Season 6 will be in New York. Uh, Barstool Sports is running a Survivor Challenge where the winner gets 100000 and they put 10, 10 of their top media people involved. Big Cat, Dave, PFT, everyone. Everyone's there. And you sit in the office, I think, for four days and you grind it out and the winner gets 100 grand. So, not this Wednesday, but a week from this Wednesday, we're filming in New York. Very, very exciting because I don't have to go on a plane and I don't have to flip my life where I'm not complaining. I fucking love it. I'll go to China if I have to. No two ways about it. I'll go to Indonesia. I'll go to Mutambe, which doesn't even exist. I just made it up. I'll go there to do the show, okay? That's the bottom line. But... It is rough because like, for example, on the fucking plane last week, Tuesday, fucking plane was an hour and a half to leave late. Then Wednesday coming home on the plane, eight o'clock at night. And they say, get off the fucking plane. We got to go to another plane. So instead of getting home at 1130, got home at like 130. It happens. It's part of the job. Not fucking complaining. Just giving you the landscape. So I'm going I'm com- to. I'm complaining. Okay. Listen. What? Flight delays. Yeah are arguably the worst thing in the world because you're helpless. Powerless. And you have to listen to people complain. And you know, if you're a rational person, that what are you you complaining about? Right. What are you going to solve? They're going to look at you and go, oh, I'm sorry, here's your new pilot, new plane. Like, you have these irrational people. You have to listen to them. And then also you're stuck. It's, listen... Top five worst feelings. Worst feelings. Maybe Power- taking, being having to take a shit and there's no accessible bathroom, uh, flight delays, and torture. How about how about how about meeting a girl at a bar? She's a ten. 
going back to her apartment. And she has a dick? No. Okay. Well, that, that would do it too. I mean, that's... That that would that would be... That my would, scenario is definitely yeah, That would worse. be a Debbie Downer, but I wasn't going there. Okay. You snort an eight ball with her, and then you go down on her, and her she pussy smells like raw sewage. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. I, I would... I, I Listen. If, I would take I, a stinky I, pussy rather than dick. I don't know, because if okay. she's super hot, okay. then she could hold her dick up. I could fuck a doggy style up her ass and just not look at the cock. Um, Or she could blow me. Uh, I'm not touching the cock. I mean, the stinky pussy could blow you too. No, stinky pussy. It's a deb. It's done. If your vagina smells like you never douched in your life, if your vagina smells like after I ran the marathon, you smelt my armpit. It's a, it's a, it's a fucking no contest. It's because that'll affect me for at least a month because that smell stays with me. Like I have to wash my face, wash my clothes. I got to get a facial because that. The smell of a stinky vagina. Shout out to the women who have it. I'm so sorry you were born like that. Tell God to fuck himself. Just like I tell God to fuck himself that I'm five, four and three quarters. I haven't grown since seventh grade. If you got a stinky vagina, you're fucked for life. There's no way around it. There's no perfume. We've gone through this. Alex has looked it up. It's some sort of fucking disease. And, no, and no, you might no. as well have, you might I, as well be dead. I think last time no, we no, talked about- No, no, you might as well be dead. I'm saying you might as well be dead, Alex. I would talk to your doctor. I think your pH balance is off. I think you could fix it. I don't, I don't know think if you can fix off. it. I think you can. Right? I don't, I, listen, I don't think so. I think it's a You fact. might be right, but you're wrong. And you might not be wrong, but you're wrong. And you might be right, Fair. but you're wrong. Fair. Fair. Okay. Um, so I'm so excited about doing Barstool Sports Advisors Season 6, Week 5. I'm so excited to get back on the winning track. And I love winners. And listen, losing gives you an excitement about so, so appreciative and respectful when you pick the winner. Because... The losing, for the moment that you dwell on it, is a very low feeling. You're in the toilet. The winning is so high that you love that roller coaster. If you don't love the roller coaster, you don't love gambling. If you don't love gambling, I don't love you, and I hope you get hit by a car and die. Not literally, but figuratively. Fair. Okay. And arguably, they what? say that you you lost for you know you're you people tune in to watch the show, but if you're winning. For the last two years, you know what I'm saying? Like, you're losing haters. Haters are just like, I can't watch this. I don't want to see him win. Now they're back. You know what I'm saying? So arguably, they could say that you're just you're just doing it for the show. Right. So, I mean, everyone kissed my ass and was on my dick last year for my 15-4-2 record. They loved me. They, they were sending me money. You know, I don't even want their money. I had too much money. You know, like, can you have too much money? Yes. And I did. So this year, I'm back down to grinding it out, working hard putting my fucking success behind me and just starting from scratch and I'm ready to fucking roll. That's the button. Listen, here's the message. Don't bet against me. Now, I don't give a fuck if I lose every single week. Don't bet against me. Don't bet against me because when I get fucking hot, I make up for everything and that's the bottom fucking line. Okay, that's that. Now, I want to talk about something dear to my heart. And you know I play with death uh, loose and fast, as Dave Portnoy said. Shout out Dave Portnoy. Shout out for your, the beautiful brick watch. You got me. You got Alex. You got Thank my you, father. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Dave. Uh, still waiting for the pizza review. Uh, basically, at my son's restaurant, Brick and Cork. I'm sure that'll happen down the road. But let's talk about death. Because death is in the finer family. 
severe, uncalculated, unadultery, definitive death. And um, by the time you listen to this, you have already seen the video of it. Death to my pirate ship, my ball bath. Death. And that's Yitzka. That's the part of Yitzka that you say for the dead. The pirate ship and the ball bath. An epic 23-year run where tens of thousands of men women and children have enjoyed their life on my pirate ship being I'm the captain when you get on my pirate ship you were the captain when you went down the slide you were the captain when you were on the swings you were the captain when you played in my ball bath and just pure joy with your family with your children Forget about that they lost shoes. Forget about that people lost glasses and rings and stuff that they're never going to find. Okay, forget about that. Pure joy, pure fun. And in addition to it, I made the pirate ship and the ball bath and the swings and the slides part of my life. And I've done over 7,000 videos incorporating that in. Well, it's over 30 years. So, you know, basically that's what it is. It is dead. It is gone. It's bye-bye. Rest in peace. A lot of good memories. A lot of great memories. Shout out Ball Bath and shout out Pirate Ship. Now, the plan in April, the plan is to replace it with a Sandy Finer Palace. Uh, Ryan's going to build a movie theater. Uh, Ryan's going to build the most psycho barbecue ever. Ryan's going to build like a, a hut, like a she shed for Sandy. You know, uh, a retail cost of Probably close to 700000 but we're going to get it for like 70000 because everyone owes us favors. We have every contract in the world on our dick. And uh, that's basically the bottom line. So it's going to be like $700,000 insane uh, production for seventy grand, And very soft, very soft, April 1, we start. Very soft. Very, very soft, April 1. So you will see the video... And I would like you personally to take a moment out of your life while you're watching the video, while the memories just go in your head and roll over and over and over. I'd like you to think of someone that's died in your life. Someone that is a hole in your heart, in your brain, in your soul. Maybe your mother got run over by a car and was dragged eight weeks until her body became a skeleton and all her flesh and blood and organs were all over the street. Maybe your father got decapitated by a samurai sword. Maybe one of your kids went out on a Friday night and just never came home. Maybe your parents died in a plane crash. Whatever it is, I want you to feel that intense feeling I want you to open that wound when you watch the pirate ship and the ball bath video. I personally would like you to just feel it and understand the loss that the finer family is feeling right now. Because all there is is grass. 
and we posted a flag in the dirt to say, never forget. Never, never forget. Never forget. So we're ready to roll. I don't know how I'm going to live without the pirate ship. I don't know how I'm going to live without the ball bath. But I will tell you this. I will. I will go on. I will persevere. And I'm ready to roll. Sad for your pirate ship. Yeah, I really liked it. I liked it too. Yeah, I, I, my, Sandy hated it. Yeah. She hated it. Now, she's hated good, it for about 10 years. What a run. I, You know, I, I mean... Spin 23 years up where she's okay with it and the last 10 get rid of it. And now that she's retired and she has to stand me in the face every day, I'm not going to fight with her about it. You know, yeah. it was like, get rid of it, 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 get rid of it. We got rid of it. We got rid of it. And that's it. It's in a dumpster. Uh, shout out Winter Bros. Fabulous dumpster, 40 yarder. The pirate ship and the ball bath were in the fucking dumpster. So you're going to see everything. You're going to see the video. It's going to be sad. Just comment under it uh, about a loss in your life. Just do me a favor, whether it's on Twitter or Insta. Comment about a loss in your life that you could relate to, like the pirate ship in the ball bath. Just please do that for me. And also on the podcast, obviously, uh, I want you to like and subscribe and put some comments. Really flood the comments and spread the fucking word. Spread the fuck around. And speaking I, of comments, yes, we have a we have a couple questions. Oh, yeah, yes. So, uh, one, yes, how accurate is two for the money? Should you watch it? And advice on building a bankroll. Okay, uh, two for the money. Seventy five percent is total horseshit, total bullshit, uh, total Hollywood. Twenty five percent is fact. Uh, yes, the character Brandon Lang, uh, his real name is Brandon Link, is a low life scumbag, piece of shit, the worst human alive. That's true. Con artist and scam, that's true. Worst handicapper that ever lived, that's true. That's number one. In the movie, Two for the Money, Al Pacino, Matthew McConaughey, and Jeremy Piven were on my Sports Advisors TV show that Jim Robinson of Morgan Creek Production, uh, they were the last house on the block um, to accept the movie because at the beginning, um, it was supposed to be Dustin Hoffman playing me. And it sat on Dustin Hoffman's desk from 1998, 99, 2000, and he refused to do it in 2001. So then uh, Rene Russo and Danny Gilroy, Danny Gilroy is Rene Russo's husband, he's the screenwriter, screen, he wrote the screenplay, uh, they shopped it. And the last house on the block was Jim Robinson, Morgan Creek Production, and then they got Al Pacino, Matthew McConaughey, Jeremy Piven, Amon DeSante, Rene Russo, and we rocked. Um, there's a scene in the movie where um, I picked up this really fucking smoking hot girl for Brandon and we were in a restaurant called Nanny Il Valetto, uh, 61st between Lex and Park. It's no longer there. Nanny uh, in the early 70s came uh, from Italy and really taught um, really all of New York, Northern Italian. And it was one of the greatest Italian foods ever. Um, I went to this restaurant in 1984 where the NFL was suing me and I had to get like a top-notch lawyer and a fucking lawyer was like $500 an hour. I had to put a $25,000 retainer up front. It was fucking a crazy situation. But anyway, the only good thing that came out of that, uh, besides costing me about 400000 in restitution and everything else, was that he brought me to this restaurant. So Nanny Valetto is the restaurant that they use in the movie. Um, 
But most of it is absolute dog shit. But I love the movie. Listen, I love the fucking movie. You know, just, I love the movie. And, you know, every day I could say Al Pacino played me in the movie Two for the Money. They use my TV show from 1989-2003 in the movie. It's a TV show that Dave Portner called me up in 2016 and said, we want to bring your show back. Me and my father, my uncle used to watch your show. We're going to rebrand it Barstool Sports Advisors. So the show that's Barstool Sports Advisors initially was The Sports Advisors started in 1989. Where we the first time I did the show was in Atlantic City. Um, so that was real. But I'd say the movie's great. It's fucking great. You got to love it. It's a lot of fun. And absolutely watch it. Now, building a bankroll. So maintaining, let's, maintaining. Oh, maintaining a bankroll. Okay. So let's say I, I'm aggressive. And building, and building. I'm aggressive. So let's say you start with a $1,000 bankroll. You could never risk more than $100 per day. Never. Never, never, never. So the key to building a bankroll so you could sustain your losses and so that you can maintain a modicum of success. Never risk more than 10% of your bankroll per day. In addition to it, in addition to it, in addition to it, you have to establish a bankroll. I don't care if it's $100. That means every day you can never bet more than $10. Total, total, total. I don't care if you're betting 100 games or one game. Can't be more than $10. Let's say you have a $1,000 bankroll. The most you could risk, risk is $100. I don't care if you're betting 100 games for a dollar or 10 for 10. That's how it works. You stay in the game. Now, if you lose 10 straight days in a row, you have no bankroll. So you got to reload. So the key is this. You have to be realistic about gambling. You're never going to retire gambling. You're never going to be me gambling. You're never going to be Billy Walters gambling. You're just not. You're just not. Probably going to be more like Big Cat and Dave. Big Cat, $25 million guy, arguably the most successful entertainer in the world. At least for my money, he is funny, articulate, super intelligent, photographic memory, gets along with everyone. He's probably lost about $10 million in his life gambling. Dave Portnoy, $100 million guy, just bought a $4 million house. Icon, the king of all media, okay? Howard Stern can't suck Dave Portnoy's cock on his best day. Smartest, greatest talker, quickest off his feet, never intimidated, never overmatched, whether he's dealing with Trump, Putin, God, Jesus, Moses, Allah, Dave Portnoy. Probably lost about $25 million gambling. So the point becomes is that gambling has to be put in a box for entertainment. Well, still, we want to be you. Still, we want to be Billy Walters. Still, we want to retire gambling. We want to be in a handicapper. You're never going to be. That's a jerk off. You're not me. You're never going to be me. It's not happening. What I forgot, you're never going to know. So again, first of all, put your bankroll at a basic amount and bet 10% per day. That's the max. And if you don't like something during the day, pass. You're allowed to pass. You don't need to be in action every single day. Now, if you have unlimited money, if you're one of the few that has unlimited money, if you're a trust fund baby, if you've made a million, 10 million, $100 million gamble, I mean, uh, in your vocation, fine. You could piss money away all day. You don't need a bankroll then. You just fire. Who gives a fuck? Because it's not going to hurt you. It's not affecting your life. Okay? 
But if you want to be gut level honest and you're an average Joe, like most people are, see, I'm an average Joe. I'm a very poor, rich person. Very, very poor, rich people. Most of the time I hang with people that what I'm worth, they make in a year, okay? So I'm a very poor, rich person, but you cannot handicap your life and your future and your dreams and your hopes and your desire and your business plan by losing money gambling. That affects you. It can't affect you. If it affects you, first of all, your bankroll is way too high and your bets are unrealistic because you're probably going to lose, okay? You're probably going to lose. 99.9% of gamblers lose. You could say, Stu, uh, grinding it out at 56%, I can do that. No, you can't. Most gamblers, and remember, nobody in the world has been in touch, been in contact on a daily, weekly, monthly, seasonal, five-decade basis than me, okay? Everyone gets killed. They get killed. You don't, you don't, you don't hit 50%, you hit 20%. You wipe your fucking self up and you reload and you keep wiping yourself out. So again, you could do that, but you better be able to afford it. So the question is, how do you build a bankroll and what should your bankroll be? Your bankroll should be realistic and you bet 10% of your bankroll and probably you should be betting three days a week out of the seven. Three days a week out of the seven. And that's the bottom line. Way too much. Right. 10%, I, no, 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 10%. I'm aggra- well, listen, yeah. I'm not a three percenter. I'm not a 2%. I'm aggressive. I'm Bet, aggressive. So the the key is if you have a bankroll, first of all, a lot of you, you, you have an entertainment balance. It's not a bankroll because a bankroll is for someone that's doing it. You know, if that's your living, you know, if you need to win to survive, you're, you're fucked. You're betting one to 2%. You're fucked. Max. And then you also have to be realistic and you also have to be true to yourself. You don't have to, you know, you could lie to all your friends and family. You have to be true to yourself. Because if you're lying to yourself, you're, you're never going to win. But bottom line is this. You have to learn how to take a backseat and step down. So if you start losing, your bets have to decrease. So if you have a $500 bankroll, I would say that you're betting $5 a game. And most people don't want to hear that because they're, you know, they're betting $50. I don't want to hear that, Alex. Eight time, 18 parlays. I don't want to hear it. You're, you're never going to win. So I would cut out parlays, bet straight bets, and, you know, bet realistic. Step your bets down, you know, 10 times and do that for a month and then look at the numbers and that's realistic. But most people don't want to be realistic. No. Um, realistic is not fun. Yes. All right. Question being, two. Being raised by Stu. Uh, it's electric. Wait, wait. Somebody asked what it's like being raised by me, by me yes. as a father. Yes. You as my son. No, 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 no. Well, I think the question's for me because. No, it's for you. How are you raising yourself? How am I raising you? Okay, go. Stu is a very good friend. Yes. One of the best friends ever. Yes. Father, he's a great friend. Yes. Yeah. So it's, I would say it's, no, it's a great life. Opportunities are endless. Yes. Um, Never a dull moment. Very loving. Provides everything and, uh, you know, just a good guy. So I would say it's great. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Shout out. Thank you. Really enjoy when you guys talk about bets. A few plays for the week. Uh, My key play college football this week. Oklahoma winning outright versus Texas. Six and a half point dog. Uh, I like them on the money line. I like them with his points. I like them alternative. Um, I think Oklahoma is a better team. And uh, yeah, so that's 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 the key bet for this week. And then Stu will have a mortal lock. 
Watch Barstool Sports Advisor. Right, five picks. Five picks every week on Barstool Sports Advisor, 7 o'clock Eastern. Uh, YouTube, Barstool Gambling. Like and subscribe. Why did you and your friends watch that guy jerk off and didn't you tell him to stop? Um, He was like four years older than me. Um, It happened so quick and so fast. Like when he pulled his, like he asked the question, have you ever jerked off? We said no. He pulled his dick out. It was automatically hard and he just started fucking jerking off. Like it happened like it was like a train wreck that you couldn't look like, you know, like when you driving in uh, on the Southern state, driving on any highway and you see the most horrific uh, car crash ever. You can't look away. We couldn't look away. We were frozen and he came very quickly and we were like mortified and we were like mortified. So that was that. Um, Explain when you realized 15, 15, 30 was a perfect hour. Um, Well, when I used to fuck uh, and come quick. And then, like, the girl would say, well, I didn't come yet. So then I needed an answer. I needed a game plan. I needed a manifesto. And I went to the Bible. And I read the Bible. Uh, the Old Testament, because the New Testament's a, you know, fraudulent, uh, fake. It was only because you weren't Jews and you had to make up a religion, so you became the New Testament. I'm going with the Old Testament. And the Old Testament taught me, be action. Have action. Take action. So, when I went down on a woman and her legs opened and it became wet as the Dead Sea and she was coming and it was great and then I was finger-fucking the pussy and then also, uh, I bent her over and I said, there's another hole here. So, I dove in that hole and I ate the ass and I loved it. Tasted great. Loved it. So, uh, then I banged it out and then I said, well, some women, not a lot, not most, most do not like to be fucked for hours on end. They don't, they do not. They like a hard 30 minutes and most of them don't even like that because after they've came by me eating the pussy and finger fucking the ass and finger fucking the vagina and sucking the tits, uh, I said, let's get a fucking vibrator to just, you know. For all those women that just want that extra someone. So that's how I basically put it together. It was a game plan for success. Nice. Very, very, very uh, thought out. Um, Explain how Steve Mahalik's wife lived in your backyard. So, um, 1974, uh, I worked on an estate in Farmingdale, 7.8 acres. It was three separate parcels, but he owned all three. It was a 1.8 acre side field. Uh, it was 2.5 acres that a house was on and 3.2 acres in the back that was barren land. Um, the 1.8 acre side field I lined for football and we played two years tackle football on it uh, when I bought it in 1989. Um, and we rode horses. 2.5 acres, the house was 1,900 square feet. I put like a million and a half dollars into the house, the pool, the surrounding things, and I made it 4,300 square feet. The back 3.2 acres was zoned 70 by 100 lots. And I was able to get a map approved, put sewers in, put roads, sidewalks, everything. And I made it Sean Michael Court. So it was a cul-de-sac. When we were building the houses, uh, Steve Mahalik's wife, and at the time ex-wife, because she already divorced him, um, her house bordered the cul-de-sac I was building. And uh, water was Flowed into her house. So she came out one day and she threatened my fucking life. 
She said, my husband's going to beat the fucking shit out of you. She didn't tell me her last name. I had no idea who she was at the time. And uh, you better fucking solve the problem. So then like a week later, it happened again. And I wasn't able to solve the problem because we built like these new barrier walls that were very tough on the existing houses that were there while I was building new construction. So he came over to me and he like ready to threaten me. And then he looked at me. And then I looked at him. I said, Steve, he said, do I know you? I said, yeah, I worked for you in 1978 and 77 stocking uh, your refrigerator with juices and power drinks. And I used to pick um, steroid needles off the floor and clean them while uh, you owned uh, Mr. America's. And that's how I met uh, Mrs. Mahalik and Steve Mahalik. And last one, break down the offshore gambling scene and any stories. Uh, well, I was the, I, listen, and I'm saying this definitively. There is no offshore sports books if it wasn't for Stu Finer. They moved out there in like 91 and they started um, getting, I think it was uh, Costa Rica, Curacao, and some other countries. And they were doing no business. And I had a I had a, a sports advisor's schedule that gave the listing of the sporting events on a two-week basis. And I mailed them to like a quarter of a million bookmakers every two weeks. And it gave, and I ran ads throughout the book. Offshore, uh, in 1993, a man named Dave Budin, he was the first person to open in uh, Costa Rica. And him and his son were running the business, Okay. Dave was an amazing man. One of the best men I ever met. Helped me tremendously in life. Taught me a lot. His son was a total fucking scumbag and a thief. Okay? The worst fucking person ever. Literally would fuck your mother for a dollar. Just a scumbag. Played both sides. Low life piece of shit. Total zero. His father left him like 30 million. And he robbed from me and everybody he's ever met. Be that as it may. So Dave Budin called me and said, Stu, can you run an ad in your schedule for me? And he was about to close his fucking business. They invested like $2 million and it was about to be done. He had a big bookmaking operation in Florida. One of the biggest bookmakers in the world. One of the greatest guys in the world. Dave was a stand-up fucking guy. You know, total Jewish mafia. You know, you fucking, everyone loved him. He had gazillions of dollars. He was super smart and he was a street guy. And he fucking loved me. And he respected me. Um because I made it on my own. I was self-made. I put an ad in the schedule. P.S. He got 900 customers in two weeks and he wrote like $300 million before he got arrested and had to sell his business. So I was the originator of offshore sports books. Stewie Offshores. And then uh, for future questions, since I'm putting these questions on Instagram, if you don't have Instagram, uh, you could text the questions to 516-304-1754. Again, that's 516-304-1754. And listen, bottom line is this. Right now, get over to BeLikeStu.com. BeLikeStu.com, BeLikeStu.com. Now, uh, I know that Cameo does these shout-outs. I've been doing these shout-outs for 20 fucking years, okay? It's called Stu Finer Shout-outs, okay? I'm the biggest in the world at it. In the world! Nobody can touch me. Whether I dive in my pool, whether I run in my backyard, whether I'm in my living room, I shout you out. Birthdays, anniversaries, any occasion, 
a pick-me-up, a funny message. I deliver it with such intensity, such vigor, such emotion. I have so much happiness in my body. I flow it through this video to you. Get over to BeLikeStudio.com, buy a fucking shout out. Also, the cum towel. Why wipe your cum on your shirt, on your sheets, on a shirt? Fuck it. Use my cum towel. Then I have over 58 items, incredible merchandise, phenomenal merchandise, BeLikeStudio.com. And obviously, my handicapping picks are always at stewfinder.com, whether they're the 100,000 all-in max best bets that I charge 5,000 for, whether it's your W net worth game of the year that I charge 4,000 for, whether it's a 50-dime all-in max best bet that I charge 4,000 for, whether it's a 25-dime all-in max best bet I charge 1,000 for, whether it's the bar stool special, three best bets, $69, favorite number, favorite position, or whether it's my $99 specials, my $150 specials, my $55 specials, 20 dime all in max best bets, stewfinder.com, stewfinder.com, stewfinder.com. So I want to say right now, I fucking love you. I fucking love you. So grateful for your time. So grateful that you back me up. I fucking love you. Have the best life of your life. We'll see you next week. Run it a roll, run it a roll, run it a roll.